If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. And uh, we're back. This is the second show recorded in the same day. And uh, we just did a show with Dana Amp. And uh, now April's going to be here. It's going to be a fun day. How are you doing, Mr. Campbell? Yeah, yeah. It's good to be working, right? Back in the Absolutely. groove of things. And uh, no, th- things are excellent. You know, it's uh, fall in, in Vancouver as well. The fire season ended late. We had smoke right into October. Uh. But now... The rains have come. And if you remember last year around this time, we had like a meter of rain in 24 hours, which turns out to be even too much rain for us that is good yeah. at rain. Yeah. Ended up with a bunch of flooding and so forth. So things are a little calmer this year. We're not working our way through Revelation's plagues this time around. Yeah. This year, the West Coast got rain. The East Coast got a lot of rain. Everybody else, not so much. <laughs> no, not so much. And not, not necessarily where you needed it. You know, yeah. I spent a big bunch of time in Australia this fall, which was spring for them, and they had too much rain, too. Hey, so I got a story and a link for Better No Framework, so roll the crazy music. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? So I got this email from my mother, and, hmm? you know, my mother's in her 80s, and, you know, she does her best with technology, but, you know, certain things get by her. So this was an invoice from the Geek Squad. Oh, wow. That said, you know, we want you, we uh, understand you want to renew your blah, blah, blah. We have charged you 400 some odd dollars, and here's the invoice and the receipt. Now, the idea, it's a scam, right? And the idea is to get people to email back and say, hey, wait a minute, I didn't do this. And then they engage in some BS and take some more money or take right. some money. So, I went looking, I didn't find anything at Snopes right away, but of all the places, Reader's Digest. Wow, are they still out there? I guess so, unless it's, you know, somebody who's scam. hijacked their, <laughs> yeah, so it's hijacked their domain. But it's rd.com, so I, it's probably Reader's Digest, right? Pretty legit, the, yeah. Two-letter two domains don't come around these days. Nope. So uh, it talks about the Geek Squad scam and how you can avoid it. And it turns out that there's like several different ones. Oh, wow. But they're all based around Geek Squad because Geek Squad is the brand at Best Buy where you can take your and laptops People and know it, right? They people recognize know it. it. People trust it, you know. You would trust taking your broken laptop to Geek Squad and just dropping it off. And, you know, you, you don't think that they're going to steal anything. Well, anyway, 
So it talks about how and, and to it be works. clear, they don't. But scammers might impersonate them. Yes, of <laughs> course. Yeah, yeah. I want to be clear. Yes, I'm not saying anything nothing bad with Geek Squad. Nothing bad about the Geek Squad. I love those guys. So, but but it basically goes into the different ways in which you can get scammed with this Geek Squad brand. And, uh, you know, it's the same old stuff. Don't ever click on a link that's in your email. If you think it's from a bank that you have an account with, log into the bank. And if there's anything that you need to worry about, they will have given you notification in your account. Call the bank. Right. Never change the medium. Don't follow the chain. Change the medium. That's it. Yeah. So that's the story. And it turns out my mother did not fall for it. And she called you. She she forwarded it to me and said, "Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me this is a computer. scam." Yeah, nice. yeah, 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 right. <laughs> but it, this is as much we can hope for for our non technical loved ones that they at least have enough radar to reach out to us and go, "Is this a scam?" And it's like, yeah. "Yep, that's a scam. Well done. Yes. Well right? done. <laughs> yeah." So that's the story today. Awesome. Uh, who's talking to us? Richard? Congratulations to to Grandma Franklin. Like she she did she did the right thing. She, she did the right thing. Yep. I have met your mother over the years. Yeah. As I recall, she is a big fan of opera. She's a huge fan of opera. Yes. Uh, somebody has to be because it's not us. And uh, not me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she I, still tries to convince me, you know, yes. and I'm like, Mom, I'm 55. Give up. It's not going to happen. It's yeah. not going to so, happen. not going to happen. If it was going to, would it by now? Hey, I grabbed a comment off a show, 1807, which is back in August of this year, where we were talking to Kardec, uh about... The application lifecycle management of the Power Platform, which is Mm -hmm. good because we're talking about Power Platform again here today. And we got this amazing comment from Juan Pablo uh, on this show. Another one that didn't import properly into the new system. But I grabbed the comment out of the old system, and this is the comment. He says, hey, the Power Platform is a very easy-to-use platform, and it's impressive how fast it's evolving because he has a lot of features being added. Uh, having said that, one of the things that stopped us from fully adopting it is that what we perceive is a lack of server-side logic at the low-code level. As far as we understood, once the connection is added to the Power App, the user using the app would either have user permissions in the connected source, or they would implicitly be using the access levels of the credentials used when adding the connection. In the latter case, even if the Power Apps could only use a subset of the operations in the source, the end user of the Power Apps could, in theory, execute the other operations the source provides. This is interesting because we just recorded that show mm-hmm. with Dana Epp, which, you know, in the publication cycle would have been last week's show, talking about API exploitation. This is kind of like that, where if all this code's running on the client and you've got a bad actor here that could get access to some things, uh, don't know that it's actually true. We'll we'll talk to, uh, to April a bit about this. Uh, Juan Pablo goes on to say, our understanding is that this is due to the fact that PowerApps logic runs client-side and that anything that would typically be enforced on the server side, like validation rules or security enforcement specific to users and roles, on a typical web app would have to be enforced by the system that the connector is connecting to, which could be a third-party API or SQL server being connected to the PowerApp. So it looks like the way to accomplish that level of control is to create a custom API in code that would in turn talk to the sources needed to enforce those rules and code with the custom API, leaving Power Apps as just a very easy to use client app creation platform. There's nothing wrong with that model, just that it's important to keep that in mind when building solutions in the Power Apps platform. And, and to me, as a developer, when I look at Power Apps, the biggest thing that I'm excited about is this, give me an easy way to build a client that works on phone, tablet, PC. Right. And odds are I'm going to build a bunch of APIs in the back end anyway, because I've got those skills. 
But we'll dig in with April about the, the security and validation issues. Uh, Juan Pablo, thanks so much for your comment. And a copy of Music Code by, it's on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. And don't forget to use the SHA1 hash code that we provide on our website. That's complete crap. We don't provide <laughs> You're that. You're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's a different world now that Mr. Musk owns Twitter, and who knows? We may have to At least we resort. know who the chief tweet is. Yeah. Yeah. We may have to resort to using a SHA1 <laughs> encryption code in the future. Who knows? But apparently for 20 bucks a month, I can get a, gr- a blue mark beside my name. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Remember the whole, uh, everyone was trying to get validation. They wanted that blue mark. Apparently, he's now right. selling them for $20 a month. Wow. Will the will, yeah? I didn't know. <laughs> will the news ever end? I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a good time to introduce our guest, April Dunham. Uh, April's a process automation professional, a SharePoint siren. Did not know that that designation existed, and yeah, I think a karaoke queen. <laughs> she is also a woman who codes, but teaches others to build apps and automation with zero code. April's a power platform developer advocate at Microsoft with a love and passion for the power platform. Just so happens we were just talking about that. April, how are you? And welcome to the show. I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, the, the SharePoint siren gets people all the time. So I totally made that, that up. <laughs> the danger on the rocks have surely passed. Still, I remain tied to the mast. Could it be that I have found my home at last? No, sorry. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, but you know, the, the sirens were... You know, from the Odyssey, right? They were the ones mm-hmm. that were making all the, you know, a, attracting the men to the rocks. And then their, you know, boats would be dashed upon the rocks. I don't know if that's such a good moniker for you. <laughs> I don't know. If you, have, you, have you ever gotten immersed in SharePoint, right? That's what happens when you get immersed I mean, in SharePoint. Yeah. Okay. Now, oh, oh, now I get it. So, so if you're a SharePoint user, you want to attract those users to you so you can dash their boats on the rocks. I get it. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. You, you got it. <laughs> I'm glad I paid attention in literature class. So tell us about the state of power apps in 2022. It's, uh, you know, I think that the comment that you read earlier, you know, it's it's constantly evolving. So many great new things are being added across the power platform mm-hmm. stack here. And power apps is, is no exception. So many great new things on the horizon with AI, you know, infusion with it. Like we just dropped the heels of Ignite um, recently. And that was one of the the big things that, that was announced. A, like power cards. So being able to kind of have a lightweight way of building adaptive cards. But then also being able to have AI generate your app for you from an image file. I mean, that's, that's pretty exciting to be able to upload an image of a form or something that you want to automate and then have it as an application and have Power Apps do that for you, and then using the same GitHub Copilot AI capability we have inside of Power Apps to to build our formulas. So, lot lots of things, and then of course in the pro dev space as well. Um, you know, being able to import a design from Figma—that's one that really excites me. Oh wow! Um, and then have that build a Power App for you. If, if there's anything like that was announced recently, that's probably one of the ones that gets me the most excited. Wow. If you don't know what Figma is, I I learned about it last year um, because um, I had to use a design from Figma in an application for a customer. And um, one of the things that I thought it did was export to CSS and HTML, and it does not. And not furthermore, the 
CSS that it created was absolute position. So if you want to make that CSS responsive, well, that's ouch. Yeah. So I like the idea that you could just import a Figma, uh, you know, some Figma stuff and then use it. Love it. Now owned by Adobe. What could go wrong? (laughs) Uh, That's that's a good thing, I think. Well, if it becomes part of the creative cloud, it's just a question of, do they take care of it? It's always a challenging when a product changes hands like that. You know, there's a, the, the visionary developers behind what made Figma successful stay on board and keep driving yeah. the vision forward. Right. Yeah. Uh, difficult to answer there. Did Juan Pablo have a point there about the validation on the client versus validation on the server and how endpoints are generated in, in Power Apps? Yeah. So, I mean, it, that, that was a good point. And then, I mean, ultimately, especially if you're talking about integrating your APIs uh, with the Power Platform through our custom connector model, which mm-hmm. allows you to bring, to bring those in. Yeah, you want to do as much as that validation as you can at the API layer itself. Right. Um, and, th- and that's something that you can do. But when we're talking about using some of the built-in connectors, because, you know, a connector in the Power Platform, for those who might not have used it, is just a wrapper around an API. So we have over 700 different out-of-the-box connectors to various services that we can connect to already. And with those, so in addition to like how the security model works, it's, you know, if you don't have access to it at the service layer, then you're not going to have access to it in the connector. So for connecting with SharePoint, since I come from a SharePoint background, Mm -hmm. if I don't have access to a particular document library or list, I'm not going to be able to perform any actions against that with when I'm logged into that Power App that's using it, right? Mm. Because it's going to use my credentials um, to to Juan Pablo's point and pass those through to the connector and verify if I have the right permissions for that. Taking it a step further, though, too, is at the connector level, we can define data loss prevention policies. So if there's certain actions that you can do in that API that we're don't want people to be able to do, like maybe go send out a tweet, but we want them to be able to read tweets. We do have that security built in with data loss prevention policies to be able to restrict it more granularly there. So he, he does, does have a point, especially when, when bringing in your own custom APIs. But it also speaks to if you're going to, once you go down this M365 path with, and Power Apps is part of that story, there's all this other stuff that is available, but you need, need to know about it. Like if, I don't think that a developer who's told, make sure these endpoints are secure, thinks, oh, I should go over to data loss prevention in M365 for that. Hmm. But the bottom line is that will work. Like, that's where to go. And it's a nice, like, you don't have to build the consoles and stuff for that. There's a lot of code written for you already for setting security policy around all that over in DLP land. Exactly. I mean, knowing is half the battle. So they say, yeah. I'm <laughs> Well, <laughs> uh, and I and I wonder if Juan Pablo knew that too, because it's just again, if you if you haven't spent time pressing against these issues, you may or not uh, understand this. I talk about DLP over on the run as side routinely, just because I think a lot of folks who've moved workloads into M three sixty five, they're still thinking ACLs. you know, they're still thinking the old mm. security practices, and they're trying to find them somewhere in OneDrive, and it's like, look, it's it's different now, and it's better. Like it's genuinely more sophisticated and gives you a better view of what's going on and, and more granular controls. Like it's really quite great. So that to me is kind of exciting. Hmm. Very exciting. I mean, it's so much we could do there too, even to, you know, if we're talking about integrating with the HTTP connector and be able to make those HTTP direct calls, mm-hmm. even outside of a connector itself, being able to restrict endpoints um, with some of the admin capabilities in the power platform. So that's all 
baked in. Um, you don't have to do anything extra, just do your configuration and then you have that security in place. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And when we talked to Cardic about the lifecycle management, we were talking sort of the role of the of the traditional developer. I even loathe to use the term pro developer just because I immediately think of the alternative and I think it's a derogatory. Like folks that are great with power apps, they're so helpful inside this infinite list of things we need to get built that we're never getting to the bottom of, especially because they take on that UI side really, really well. And the simple connector things that they can take off the plate are also great. But I got to imagine when I think of this, and I'm going to use the term fusion development model, because I think Cardic told <laughs> us that. And I'm like, okay, I can live with that because it's a positive, right? It's a, everybody's yep. doing their best thing. I think customer connectors are where a lot of traditional developers are going to live in the work on a power app. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, to your point, a lot of the, the citizen developers are so great at doing that kind of mm -hmm. front end development side of things, building the power app out how they would expect to see it. Because that's the, the cool thing about fusion development that I'm sure Kardec touched on there is being able to bring in the people that are familiar with the business process and they know mm -hmm. the problem that they're trying to solve. Therefore, they know this is the way I want to be able to interact and what the people using it would be able to want to interact with the app. So they can design that the front end, they can do some of the out of the box integrations with connectors. And then from the pro dev traditional developer side, they can come in and integrate your internal business logic data through the connector model. And that's, that's right. a really common scenario that we see in fusion development. And, and, and I feel like a healthy model, right? That this is everybody doing their best stuff. The, the, you call them citizen developers. I'm going to call them domain experts because it's really what they are and, and that I see them. And it's also like, this person's an expert. This is not a less than. This is the person who genuinely knows where things should be on the screen to do their work and they can build it themselves. And the idea that they would then come to me and say, I wish I had an API I could call that did X is pretty powerful. Like that's, that's not a bad dynamic because you've already shown why you want that call that way. What information you're looking for, you know, why that would be valuable. That's I, in some ways it feels like more domain expertise uh, and more well reasoned domain expertise than you, you could uh, get almost any other way. Like normally I'd spend a long time as a project manager to get to that request. And here I think I've got a way where in the process of building the app, we can get to those requests. Yeah, it's it's a very collaborative and just efficient model, you know, be, being able to have those domain experts in the process there, building the solution, knowing exactly what to ask for. Like we need to pull data in from X. I wish there was a way to do that, knowing mm -hmm. how to bring in the traditional developer to help bridge that gap. I mean, it just makes the whole application development lifecycle just way more efficient because right. you don't have to go through that whole requirements gathering process as rigid as you would have to and understanding kind of the domain level knowledge, you just fill in the puzzle pieces as needed. Mm. Well, and I remember this back in the 90s when Axis and VB emerged and you had a domain expert, somebody with another job who was just trying to add some automation to their lives, you know, stop this repeating bit of work. But there, there wasn't a good process to detect that was going on. Often they got to a point where the department was now depending on this access thing they'd cobbled together, and now it was breaking. And that's when they talked to Dev, said, hey, can you help us with? And you looked at what you guys have done a ton of work here and a lot of dangerous things, too. And then you, you got to kind of untangle it. I just wonder if we're not going to be able to get involved sooner in these in the field kind of apps using the, the power platform. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a great point. That's the ideal 
fusion scenario is that traditional developers and those domain experts, citizen devs, are starting the project off from the beginning together and not right. coming in after the fact, right? We need to solve X problem for like an inventory management system. You're thinking through as the content expert or the, the domain expert there of what the app needs to do and how it needs to function. And you're already thinking through the pieces of what it needs to connect to, what the security layer should be like, how mm -hmm. we should push it out and that whole process from the start. That's obviously going to to be ideal and where we see a lot of success, honestly. Because these domain experts, they just aren't you know, aware of any of that, right? They're just trying to solve the problem in front of them, right? It's not... Yeah. Exactly. So the, the the concern I would have is because I've been that guy too. It's like you always spread bad news when you show up to their plan. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, that's the part that violates our our re, you know our, our restriction security here. This is the part that's a kind of a, a, against our regulatory body. That'll get us fined. You can't do that. Right. Like it's, there's a lot of no often when the, <laughs> the when the folks are, are are found these tools and they're running wild. Yeah, I mean that is the hard part. And I think that's again that's why it's easier to to get in from it from the start and say like this is a cool idea. Like oftentimes as domain experts whatever we're just trying to put out the fires. We're trying to get yeah. you know solve problems, get it out there as fast as we can. And yeah, we don't often think about a lot of those details and like is this compliant? Is this gonna work? You know, and all that. So um, you know, it's better to be involved from the start and mention things before you spent, you know, <laughs> however many hours building something yeah. and then have to deliver the right. bad news for sure. It's like we got really gonna have to turn this off or we're all gonna go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you'd rather get it get in sooner. What about uh, what about a DevSec? person or the IT folks, like when do they need to be in the loop as well? Yeah, I think a lot when we talk about Fusion Dev, we talk about it from the traditional developer, the pro dev, whatever, and then the, the citizen dev, but mm -hmm. we can't forget the the IT pro, the, the security person in the mix too. I mean, that needs to be part of your Fusion team, that person to, you know, bridge the gaps there. Like we talked about DLP policies, data loss prevention policies earlier, mm -hmm. having someone there that can come to the table okay, you're going to connect to this data, um, what kind of actions can we perform, you know, doing security audit and all that. So having that person involved from the start as well is is really core to, you know, those three main pieces of, of successful fusion development. Yeah, and I can see that going one of two ways. Either they've already used DLP policies and now we're struggling to access the data and wondering why we can't. But it's like, because yeah. the system's working as planned, now that you've shown you have a reasonable need, let me give you privileges to that. Or you're having a great old time having access to everything and the security guy, you know, so frightening, yanks his tinfoil hat off his head and now has to learn DPL, DLP in a big hurry. <laughs> yeah, I guess one could argue that the first is better than the latter. <laughs> so yeah. to, for sure. It'd be nice if everything was already neatly locked down and so forth, but it probably isn't. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> no, no, never quite that simple, but at least giving them a heads up and saying, hey, there's a chance here and there are tools for this. It's not like yeah. you have to invent a whole new thing. Right. That, that, that to me is pretty exciting. And I, am I describing reasonable scenarios like where these domain experts are really going to help us on the UI side? Yeah, I mean, definitely on the UI side, but then also, you know, from from the logic side as well. I mean, we're, we talk a lot about Power Apps now and building UI, but the Power mm -hmm. Platform is more than just Power Apps. We have Power Automate 
for business process automation. So those, you know, low hanging fruit scenarios, those t- manual tedious processes that you're doing, maybe it's, you know, document approvals and, and things like that. Those are areas that the domain experts can really plug in and, and help with how these things should flow and help you know the process so you can automate those and power automate and even uh, into Power BI with with helping with dashboards and, and reportings to add that in because again they they know the data already there might be a, in Excel you know spreadsheets already maybe it's in you know Azure whatever um, and being able to easily ap- apply those Excel like skills into Power BI to to create those visualizations based off how they know they need to see the data too. Interesting, yeah, because and they would all know better than we would how what that workflow looks like, what those visualization needs to be. Otherwise, we're just turning around and asking the questions to figure that out anyway. Exactly. So the idea that they would take those tasks on. Yep. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to my consulting days, you know, because yeah. I did a lot of uh, .NET development, SharePoint development, and how long did it take just trying to understand the process in v- reviewing all the architecture diagrams, the flow diagrams and visuals and all that to even get a, a grasp of, of what it is. You don't need that time anymore if you're involving the domain expert in the process and they're just building it out and you're filling in the gaps. Uh, what about the access to the databases? Do we have a the DBAs involved in some respect? Are there filters on this or are they just querying right, right in the database? No, DBAs definitely should, should, should be involved in the, in the process as well. Um, obviously, you can have filters into to what you can call in the database. And a lot of that comes down to how you handle the connector, right? Like in, right. in into your database and how you have that set up and in the back end there. But um, definitely don't want to be doing <laughs> this blanket uh, select star on, on all of your data there. Hmm. Well, again, I'm, I'm rolling out my old access shops where my user credentials, because we had some other application that accessed the database was carried all the way through. So I could fire up access with my credentials and I had complete access to the database. Like hmm. it was fine. Off we went, did whatever we wanted, and terrified the uh, the DBA in the process. Yeah, no, no, not not that way in the Power Platform. We can have that granular access. Thankfully, we, we've evolved. <laughs> right, and 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 we do have some layers there that can can simplify. I'm still thinking back to Juan Pablo's concerns. It's like how raw is any of this, and how much can be done declaratively by the DBA to pre- sort of present organized data for domain experts to take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot we can do there. And again, it comes just down to, to knowing what there is and setting the, the stuff in your back end correctly um, of how you want to do that security. And then also at the connector and at the, the administration level with those those three levels there, you can kind of ensure that that you're restricting and securing the data however you need to. Awesome. Mm. It's, yeah, it's just good it's just to realize that all these pieces are in place. You're not you're not needing to invent any of this. But it, it a lot of, like when we talked to Cardiac about the ALM stuff, I think it was brand new. Like it had only just been made available. Yeah. It's 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 still pretty new, like the ALM story um side of things. And um it's it's pretty exciting. Like I know I'm sure you touched on um <laughs> a lot. I listened to it to to that episode as well. Yeah. But, you know, lots coming down, down the pike with, you know, code spaces integration and just more and more stuff um, coming in to make that process easier. Well, and I, what I really got from that was this is just going to be another part of the dev pipeline. You're going to, it's still source code. It's still being checked in. It should still be tested. It's still in CI, CD. Like these, it's just ticking all the same kind of boxes, even if the tooling's a bit different. Exactly. And I think that's been a big focus area on Power Platform all up too, especially the pro integration is making it so that you can stay in the tooling 
that you're used to and not have to go into even jump into the power platform half the time to, to add in some of these integrations. So if you're mm. wanting to build a custom connector, being able to do that natively from Visual Studio and just export um, or through Azure API management and export as a power connector. Um, so just reducing that, that burden of having to really even learn. It's not another tool for me yeah. as the developer. It's uh, I don't have to go over the power ups. Although if you want to, you probably be pretty well over there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's another point when we talk about you know pro devs plus uh, or traditional devs plus power is we often talk about from an integration standpoint, but just from a, a productivity standpoint in general. You know, using mm-hmm. the tools themselves, like maybe using a power app for your front end and and using that yourself, or using Power Automate and or um, you know Logic Apps depending on your situation to to add in some automations. Um, it's good for just personal productivity as a developer, also. Right. Yeah, well, you were trying to figure out how to build a a multi-client UI. This is another way. And I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know, Raygun is sponsoring this portion of .NET Rocks, and who better to talk about Raygun than Raygun, J.D. Trask. Welcome for a few seconds. Awesome. Hi. Howdy, guys. Hey, JD, I've read your stuff and you talk a lot about that sort of customer centric mindset that you can use logging to really understand that your customers are happy or not happy, whether they tell you directly or not. Uh, Talk more about that, because I think being really customer centric today is super important. Yeah, it's absolutely critical in in today's business. And, you know, a lot of there's a lot been written about this for, say, for example, what Amazon's done trying to be the most customer centric business. You know, people are putting the customer first and that applies as much in software. Even at the mm-hmm. end of the day, when we're talking about things like IoT and, and whatnot, ultimately, why do we build software? We build it for human beings, right? Mm-hmm. If we don't think about the user, the person who's on the receiving end of our software, uh, we are missing the primary stakeholder in it. You know, yeah. It's not actually our employer. It's not really even us as a coder. It's the customer. And so making sure that they are the center of how you think about these things is really important. So I'll give you one Small concrete example, we do obviously track errors with one of our products, and we will also track how many unique users have been impacted by that error. Now, that's not identifying data. It's just a GUID that we do a distinct count on. But that way, you could say, if I had 10,000 errors that affected 10,000 customers, or I had 10,000 errors that was one customer stuck in a loop, right? Helping Mm. you prioritize and sort and manage that for maximum customer impact is something that I think is missing from a lot of these sort of ops tools and whatnot, where you're just keeping an eye on stuff. And you might be fixing something just because the graph is wrong, not because a customer was having a bad experience. I think that's something that we need to continue to evolve and push on as as a as an industry. Boy, you got that right, man. It's like a bunch of chefs sitting around a pot of soup and not being able to taste it and saying, I think it needs more of this. No, no, it <laughs> needs more of that. Right? That, that is an awesome analogy I'm going to steal, Carl. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, anything to do with food, that's right up my alley. <laughs> that's where you go. And if you want to know more about Raygun, go to raygun.com and click on... Start your free trial. If you're enjoying this episode with April talking about building power apps, you should know that April is presenting a webinar that dives into best practices for devs to integrate power apps and power automate in their app development workflow. She'll be joined by Kartik Kanakasabasin, a principal PM for DevTools at Microsoft, as they offer guidance to embrace low-code tools and free up your valuable time to stay focused on high-impact work. You can register for the live event on Tuesday, March 28th 
from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern, or catch the episode on demand afterwards. Learn more and get registered to attend at aka.ms slash power DNR. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey, hey. Talking to our friend April Dunham about uh, the current evolving Power App story and uh, just this whole idea of building uh, that .NET developers should be a, a part of it or even do it entirely. Now, and just to be very clear, these are for internal apps, right? Like you're not going to put a power app out in public. It's it's not a it's not a for outward facing website. That's yeah, for for power apps, so we have two main types of power apps. We have canvas applications, which is the kind, you know, that you described, you have a blank canvas you can build that will work on a desktop and mobile. We have model-driven apps, which are really tightly coupled with Dataverse, which is a data platform for Power Platform, um, starting with your data model. So those are meant for internal, you know, behind in your tenant um, mm -hmm. applications use. But we do have Power Pages, which is another piece of, of the Power Platform. So if you do need a external facing like website, basically, um, where there can be anonymous, authenticated. That's kind of the the niche that that solves as well. So if you, if you need that that kind of functionality, it's a low code approach um, to website development. But no, it's not something that you would go put on the the Google or Apple or Windows App Store, um, you know, and sell like that. Right. Yeah. It's not. You're not building retail apps per se. Does that affect, and, does and that change the I've, question about security and the API security that you were talking about earlier? Um, you know, if you're behind the firewall, do you, you know, is it that much of a, of, of a big deal? You're protecting against your employees, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's lesser of a big deal, not having to worry about things like anonymous access and, you know, mm. people outside of, of your organization, for sure. I mean, there are things that, um, you know, to that that we can do, like Azure B2C to be able to mm -hmm. have other people um, outside of your tenant to be able to access some of these applications that you build. And mm. and then even as far as like deployment too, like touching on that, we can do, um, there's this thing called wrap for Power Apps where we can use mobile device management to deploy it in an internal um, app store like mm. that as well, just mm. to have it, you know, company branded. But yeah, it, do, it definitely does change the story a bit um, to the earlier question because a little less um, of, an, of an issue since it is within your particular tenant. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, we don't think perimeter security anymore, right? We're always thinking in terms of zero trust. And so if they, if they do penetrate somehow or get in, in, in an account that gets them in, they can't go anywhere they want. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's wrap I hadn't seen before. So wrap is for making canvas apps into custom branded apps. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty new too, um, as well. It just went, GA a month or so ago. So it's just relatively new also. But yeah, being able to to have that same branding as your other internal apps that you might deploy with um, mobile device management. Awesome. I mean, it's just a, all these different places I could be looking for for delivering something that my my uh, my team wants, right? Like it's just another set of tools. Yep. So it's again, just trying to reduce the effort and where you don't have to go to multiple locations, just being able to put it all in one bucket or stay in the tool of your choice. What about the licensing for, for Power Apps? Is it, is it per seat? So we have um, basically three different licensing models. So, well, four if you count the, the seated. So with Microsoft 365, we get what's called a seated version of Power Apps where we can customize Microsoft 365, like your SharePoint list libraries, and create applications for that. 
-hmm. We also have paid licensing. So we can do a per user license, which gives you like an unlimited amount of applications that that user that's licensed up can build. And we have a per app license as well. So you can license up a particular app for users there. But then we also have new, relatively new pay-as-you-go licensing. So if you want more of a consumption-based model, so if you're not sure, like you're just starting to roll out power apps, you're not sure how much usage you're going to get yet, and you want to, maybe it's only something like you would use once a year and you're not going to have consistently every month, every day people using, you can do a consumption-based approach also. Interesting. Yeah, but I'm also thinking once you get public-facing, like am I going to get a surprise bill at the end of the month? Nobody likes surprise bills. No, nobody likes that. So yeah, definitely want to consider carefully your, your licensing approach there. Yeah, sure. And I, and I have found generally that when I mess up a configuration and get the license wrong and get a surprise bill, if I make a phone call and we talk it through, they're pretty reasonable about you know correcting stuff and so forth. Like I, I got to imagine if you set that up wrong and then you know got a hit from it, you could redo the licensing for it and, and get somewhere. Not that I'd guarantee anything, but it's like. I, it hasn't been that bad. Um, yeah. Although I'm sure it can be if you don't pay attention. We sort of breezed past a couple of th- areas I think .NET developers can really dig into. Uh, what about customization on the UI side? Yeah, th- that's a really good point. So we tend to focus a lot on you know the connector and bringing in your, your backend APIs because that's a big integration point. But mm-hmm. another way is to extend the, the user experience. So in Power Apps, you know, with our Canvas applications, we have a bunch of out-of-the-box controls that we can use, but this is often kind of a a gap that we see where we need custom controls that aren't available out-of-the-box. So we can actually use something called the Power Apps Component Framework to build those custom widgets, basically, that we can then give to our domain experts, citizen devs, to be able to plug and play inside of their Power Apps applications to extend the UI. So this is a really common approach for future dev scenarios as well. We see um, like one thing, for example, we don't have out of the box is a file upload control or an iframe control. That's something that um, you can build a PCF, perhaps component framework control around using React or you know JavaScript, HTML, and um, be able to integrate that into Power Apps. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can envision building out custom controls for a look and feel if nothing else is that the company wants the stuff to look like this and we can tailor that up. And then those controls are available for every app you build going forward. Yeah, exactly. And that's the cool is they're, they're reusable. You build it once, you can use it in Canvas apps, you can use them in the model-driven apps as well and really standardize um, the, the apps that you're building across the board. And, it, and it's HTML? Like you're just, it's a web yep. dev, dev process? Yep, just just web web dev. You can take even existing um, you know controls that you may have and and make them like in React or things like that, and make them available in, inside of Power Apps. Is there a bunch of interfacing I have to do to make sure it works properly with Power Apps? Like what makes it a what makes it a com- part of the component framework? You can use uh, yeah, so you can use the Power Platform command line interface and mm-hmm. just do a, um, a new Power Apps component framework control and then integrate that in there. So it just creates all the, everything that you need in the back end for it to recognize as control and then ultimately gets packaged up inside of a solution. So the Power Platform has this com, uh, concept of solutions that we can package up our, our different assets in and then that's how we deploy it inside of the Power Platform. Hmm, sounds very cool. It's not something, um, I haven't done a Power Platform app yet, but every time I talk to somebody at Microsoft, I'm like, you know, now's the time. Now I think I'm gonna <laughs> check it out. <laughs> But uh, I haven't had a professional reason to to do it yet. Yeah, you need you need that project facing you where you're like, huh, got it. 
Maybe this is the best way to solve this. Right. So were there add-ins for Visual Studio to work with Power Apps? Yeah. So there's um, integrations, like I mentioned earlier, for the building the connectors. So mm -hmm. we can actually export um, to the Power Platform from there. Also for uh, Visual Studio Code, um, and we have a Power Platform extension. So all of that CLI stuff that, that you want to do, um, you can use the extension for that in VS Code to be able to create a connector, uh, create a PCF, um, Power Apps Component Framework Control, um, create a Power Page, do all like administration stuff um, as well, package your, your assets up as a solution and all of that inside of the extension. Um, New new stuff. I'm not sure if Cardic uh, touched on too is um, the ability to do tunneling to be able to test your connectors um, integrated mm. inside of uh, Visual Studio as well. Port tunneling so that you can test those. So lots of lots of tooling really getting added and baked into Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code. That whole testing conversation is an interesting thing when you deal with like a low code scenario where. Sure, there's still code out there, but technically we're not responsible for it. So what are you testing? Yeah. So like. One of the examples, I got, they had the Power Platform Conference recently, and mm -hmm. uh, the keynote was Scott Hanselman and uh, Julia from their developer division. And they did this whole fusion scenario of building a connector that you're going to use in a Power App. And so they showed kind of running into a problem real time with the connector, not being able to write data um, to the service that they had the mm -hmm. connector for. So that was a, an area where we need to troubleshoot this. How do we do it? And they used the new port tunneling capability to be able to say, okay, here's where it's it's failing um, to the endpoint. It's because it's missing this. It's not recognizing it as the right data type or, or whatever the issue was. And they're able to test it, that, fix it, redeploy um, the connector with a fix in it, and then you're good to go. So that was a pretty cool example. And I just recorded an episode of that kind of case with Julia on the low code revolution show where she kind of walked how it through how it works. Um, it's pretty, pretty cool scenario. Good example of fusion development actually. So are you, when you're doing the port tunneling, you're basically like bypassing the client and being able to call the API directly and see how it behaves. Exactly. And the, the, I mean, one, I got to imagine one of the problems is if the back end has a problem, like what even shows on the client, I'm presuming it doesn't pop an ODBC error or anything. It just kind of quietly dies. Yeah, you'll get, um, so on the front end, I mean, you can add, so Power Apps itself, you can add in your own error handling. So, right. you know, there's, you know, if error function. So it depends on what you show up there. And obviously in your dev tools in the browser, you might get an error, but uh, nothing specific like right. in, in the front end there. Yep. Yeah. And so this is really about us being able to see the behavior on the back end from the perspective right. of the client without being stuck in the client. Exactly. All right. So, yeah, but yeah, and it's a feat. This is actually a feature of Visual Studio. This is not yes. VS Code or anything else. This is we Visual want. Studio, yep. We want the professional developer running their big gun IDE in here to help us figure this out. Like, I feel like I have a job now, right? Where it's like, <laughs> oh no, the way we do this is with you. Yep. Like that that's mm. pretty exciting. Like to to just go, okay, I don't know. We we want you involved in that. Of course, I'm going to get to look at a lot of JSON along the way, aren't I? <laughs> no, yeah, getting around it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was hitting me anyway, but yeah. yeah, no, it's a powerful tool, and it's a and it's a good role, I think, for a .NET dev when Power Apps are being developed, regardless of what other stuff you want to do. Like, I I love building client components. I think that's really cool. If the company's you know starting to bet on Power Apps internally, the fact that we can do some styling and things and make stuff look the way we want it to look, so that everything gets built that way. Yeah, that piece, the enterprise architect in me adores that. It's like, yeah, we're going to do a bunch of that. 
And but um, the debugging side here and being able to understand what's going on using our tools that I feel is really important. Yeah, definitely. And by the time this show is published, this won't be a special feature anymore. It'll just be built in because port tunneling was like on a beta test or something for quite a while. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. What haven't we talked about? Where does the source code exist? Like, how do I redeploy a, a power app? Yeah, so we have a integration with with Git, so we can pull it down. So as part of that command line interface, we can actually unpack um, our Canvas app source code, so that we can edit that, put it in in source control. Um, right. So it's YAML files <laughs> behind the scenes, so we, that we can edit there, and we can do kind of collaborative development that way with some of the the Git integration also. Um, so you can edit. And manipulate the Canvas app inside of Visual Studio VS Code and be able to repackage it up and um, push it back up into Power Apps. But also roll back, right? I mean, now we, exactly. now that it's source control, it's like it's version just like every other piece of software. We can go back and forth as necessary. No, you know, do a little discovery to see who broke the thing. Like all of that's living in GitHub, GitHub the same way. Yep, exactly. It may say low code. But it's still code. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if anything, hopefully we hit on that. Like, there's still definitely big integration. There's still code, even though it is low code. That that needs to be, you know, going through the same channels as as traditional code. Have we gone much down the? When I think about CI/CD pipeline, I think about automated testing. Like, what test tools work well with Power Apps? Can I fire up Selenium on them? That's that's a good question. I don't, I don't know if like Selenium if that works or or not. Like, I know we have. Um, Built-in testing, we have PowerApps Monitor um, to be mm -hmm. able to, to do some monitoring. And then we have um, a testing built into PowerApps itself where we can run kind of our own unit test. Um, also, be able to integrate with Azure, um, right. like App Insights, and be able to do stuff like that. Um, I know somewhere in the community, I saw someone doing some integration with Playwright, too, um, for testing. Just did that um, show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not, mm. not out of the box, but it was a pretty cool scenario. So, yeah, there's definitely, I think, probably more... Uh, more to be done there, but lo lots of integrated testing already baked in. Yeah, I don't know that I want to fire up Selenium today anyway. If I could go down Playwright's <laughs> path, I was pretty impressed with Debbie O'Brien's work, uh, all the stuff she talked about with Playwright. That's well worth learning. Yeah, for sure. Does Microsoft have like a, an internal or external list of customers who've been successful with Power Apps that you can share? Yeah, so we actually have a uh, Power Platform customer stories site where we collect all these stories from from different customers who have had success. And we even have a, a specific section on there for fusion development stories. So if you're really wanting to learn more about, okay, what organizations are actually combining the you know traditional code with low code, that's a really good place to go. And mm -hmm. I can track down the link there for that. But, you know, one that I always love to tell about that's on there is Western States Caterpillar. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just a really good case study that, that we have. If you want to read more about that, of how they've embraced fusion development, um, they kind of have a, a fusion development team where they're we're building applications that have Power Apps as the front end, but they're using Azure SQL as a backend with a custom connector to a web API around that to be able to read and write data. Um, they're using, you know, storing image in Azure Blob Storage, and they're all working together to build these solutions. It's just a really interesting story. And we have several similar stories like that of organizations and how they're kind of embracing the, and the it's Caterpillar. Data. They're tractors. Like, it's <laughs> that's all cool, right? Right. It's really cool. I mean, they, they literally built a power app in the field that they can take pictures of their inventory. And, you know, they have a sales app, too, that they're using. And um, we're able to do that in a fraction of the time as I would have took 
Isn't that interesting? Because you think about the, like the modern, when we want to go across all these clients, part of it is that these clients are portable, that they are in the field and they can do certain, you know, rather than you bring in the work to the PC, the PCs now come out to where the work is. And may, you can do some, like taking pictures of the state of a machine after our rental. Right. I think that's pretty powerful or what the kind of damage is or what maintenance needs to be done. Like that's all stuff that's hard to do in traditional applications. But if you had a tablet or a phone in hand, it's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Power Apps makes it so simple too. Like, you know, the, the whole taking a picture. I mean, there's just out of the box picture controls. You don't have to yeah. code anything in. There's even, you know, mixed reality controls. There's some case studies out there of people using mixed reality in Power Apps to be able to visualize things on the shop floor and like where things should go and so many stuff that's just baked in where you don't have to do anything extra. Well, we wondered how HoloLens was going to be developed against. Are we going to end up in power apps and HoloLens? I don't know. I mean, the, the mixed reality controls are already in there. So right. it's, it, anything's, anything's possible. So yeah. I understand you have a URL for our listeners. Yeah. So we're actually going to be doing a, a developer digital meetup on kind of this whole topic of fusion development and, and how you know, pro devs, uh, traditional devs can utilize power platforms. So if you go to aka.ms forward slash power, DNR, dot mm-hmm. um, you can go to that page to be able to sign up for that, uh, that webinar there and um, kind of go a little bit deeper into some of these topics that we chatted about. That's really great. So what's next for you, April? What's in your inbox? A lot, you know, just continuing to kind of talk about the, the Fusion Dev story and tell pro devs what there is to do with the power platform. We're going to be working on uh, a web series on the Power Platform command line interface and how to get started with that, looking at kind of doing some more content around, you know, Power Platform fundamentals from, from a pro dev standpoint. Mm. So, you know, what what can you do and how to get started and all that. So, and then um, just you know, keep spreading the word about uh, the Power Platform for, for the community and creating content. We're going to see you in December, right? Like you'll be at uh, Dev Intersection in there. I will, yeah. I'll actually be doing a workshop on, on getting started with the, the Power Platform and, and custom connectors. So a lot, basically everything we talked about today. Oh, wow. It's a hands-on right. workshop, yeah, with uh, yeah, Dan Yeah, so you're Lonnie. a dev developer yeah. listening to the show, think about coming to the conference. Like, you could take this workshop and yeah. get get your feet wet with Power Apps right off the bat. And uh, I think if you take three workshops, it comes with an Xbox. Hmm. Hmm. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> now there's a pitch I'll include a link to the show yeah definitely well uh, April thanks it's been a pleasure and uh, you know thanks for educating us on Paras thanks it's been fun I always love talking about Power Platform and talking to you alright we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.